Lord, for your grace. And Lord, for the, uh, the privilege that we have to stand before you because of what your son has done for us. And Lord, I, I pray that we would never get over that privilege and that honor. That we get to be called your sons and daughters because of the sacrifice of your son. And Lord, I pray that this morning you, you would speak through me. I pray, God, that, Lord, we, our hearts would be attentive to your word, that we would be obedient to it, and, Lord, that we would leave here changed. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. My goal this morning is to share with you one of the most beautiful stories that I think is, is found in Scripture. Uh, as I studied this and looked into this and really dug into it, it really touched me about the story of grace that is found here. And it's, it's just really quite an amazing thing. And it's easy as you're reading through the Old Testament to kind of slide right over it and say, oh, that's a nice little story. Um, but when you really stop and think about all the implications of it and how it applies in our lives, I, I think it, hopefully that you'll get a, a lot out of it as much as I have. Give you a little background of uh, Second Samuel. Um, you'll know at the end of First Samuel that Saul... And his son, Jonathan, had been killed in a uh, battle. And you'll know also that King David was promised back in 1 Samuel that he was going to be the king. And he had to wait a, quite a long time and he had to fight many, many battles and, and uh, really wait for God to move. To take King Saul out. And he didn't really know how that was going to happen, but he knew that he was trusting God that he was going to do it. And so as we start um, 2 Samuel, King David is finally realizing that promise that he had been given so long ago. And you know also that Jonathan was one of David's best friends. In fact, Scripture says that uh, he was, they loved each other like no other love was possible. And Jonathan was supposed to assume that throne but back in 1 Samuel, he had abdicated that to, to David and had given it over to David and said that he wanted to uh, serve David. And he put his own life in jeopardy in front of his, his father, Saul, to save David's life. And Jonathan had helped David to escape from Saul. So as we uh, get into this passage today, um, as we look at Second um, Samuel chapter 9, we're going to see an interesting uh, little story here. And as we uh, begin there, we need to maybe go back first off to Second Samuel chapter 4, just to kind of give you a little running start into the background of the story. And we're going to start in verse 1 of chapter 4, give us a little, in, little uh, context here. It says, When Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, heard that Abner had died in Hebron, he lost courage, and all Israel became alarmed. Now Saul had, Saul's son had two men who were leaders of raiding bands. One was named 
Bana, and the other Rechab. They were sons of Rimon, the Berosite, from the tribe of Benjamin. Beroth considered part of Benjamin because the people of Beroth fled to Gittim and have lived there as aliens to this day. Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled, but as she hurried to leave, he fell and became crippled, and his name was Mephibosheth. So you see that as we go back to chapter 9, that David, he has a question. He had a question here in verse 1 that he says, Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness to Jonathan for Jonathan's sake? David was a seeking king. He was looking to, to show some kindness to Jonathan. He had loved Jonathan with his whole heart. And he wanted to have to extend some kindness to, to Jonathan. And Sam, David here, he's looking for someone, anyone, that he could show some kindness to. Because David had been shown such kindness by God. In the earlier chapters, if you look back in chapter 7, and we're not going to go there, but God had promised David an eternal legacy, an eternal kingdom, a place on the throne. And David was so overwhelmed with that grace that God had shown him. And now he wanted to extend that to someone else. And so as he says this, Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? This was really quite a startling thing for a king to say. In those days when a king took over another kingdom, another throne, the typical response was that they would slaughter the former king's family, take care of everybody. And wipe them out. So for a king to say, is there anyone still left in the house of Saul? That would be a normal thing if you heard him say, is there anybody left in the house of Saul that I need to kill? For him to say, is there anyone in the house of Saul that I need, that I can show kindness to? Was an amazing thing. It was, it was not a normal thing. That was surprising. And the first person that he talks to there, verse 2, says there was a servant in the, from ha- of Saul's household named Ziba. Now, Ziba was, was one of Saul's servants, and he should have expected that even he should have been killed. But yet the fact that he is still serving this king was an amazing thing. And then for him to hear that David wants to extend kindness to one of Saul's sons, somebody in Saul's family, was even more amazing. That was something that that just wasn't happening. That that David said that I can show kindness for for Jonathan's Jonathan's sake. He was referring back to that covenant relationship that he had with with Jonathan. He had made a a, a binding covenant with with Jonathan. And he was going to honor that. 
And that was quite an amazing thing. He made that covenant before God, and it wasn't depending on his feelings. It wasn't depending on anything that he might have felt at the time. All he felt for Jonathan was love. And it was an unconditional love. In verse 2, it says, There was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba, and they called him to, to appear before David. And the king said, Are you Ziba, your servant? He replied. And the king asked, Is there, is there no one still left in the house of Saul to whom I could show God's kindness? And Ziba answered the king, and he said, There's still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled, crippled in both feet. Now, think of what Ziba is saying here. He's saying, King David, there is a son. He's worthless. He can do you no good. He's crippled in the feet. Just forget about him. He seems to be discrediting his son, this son of Jonathan. He says, he points out that he's crippled. In other words, there, there's nothing that he can do to help himself. He's little use of any, to, anyone, to anybody, much less the king. And he, he has no value. This is what he's saying to the king. Look what the king, king's response is. He says, where is he? Where is he? This is a concerned king. He wasn't concerned about Ziba's assessment. It didn't seem to matter to David that this man was crippled. All he was concerned about was finding him and showing him kindness. That's it. And Ziba said to him, he's in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Lodabar was a far away remote place. In fact, the name of it means a place of no pasture. It was a wilderness. It was so far re removed and remote from Jerusalem that Ziba was basically saying, don't even worry about it. He's so far away, he's not, he's, there's no reason going to chase after him, king. And David says, I'm going to go find him. Now, Mephibosheth, his name means shamed. He was shamed. He had fallen from grace because of the battle that left his family dead. He was trying to escape the judgment that he, when he fell. The fall left him completely crippled in both of his feet, and he was useless and valueless. He was taken from the lap of luxury, and he was carried out of the kingdom to a faraway place, a place beyond the Jordan, a place called Lodabar that was a place of no pasture, a wilderness. He was taken to the house of Makir. Now that man's name, when you translate it, means a salesman. He was the enemy of, because he was the he believed he was the enemy of the king because he, his grandfather, his grandfather was Saul. And he lived in constant fear that David was going to exact judgment on him. He had no knowledge 
as far as Scripture is concerned. No knowledge of that covenant that David and Jonathan had made. So all he thought about when he heard that David was king was that someday he was going to be tracked down and killed. He probably spent so much time reviewing in his mind what could have been had his grandfather survived. What could have been if his, son, if his father, Jonathan, had been made king. There could have been some animosity. There it is. And bitterness in his heart towards this King David and for how his life turned out. So he was scared. He was angry. He, he could have been terrified. Verse 5 says, King David had him brought before from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel. The king fetched him, according to king, the King James. He sent an entourage of soldiers to find this guy. Now imagine you're in Lodabar. You're crippled. You can't run to get away. And you hear galloping horses coming from a distance. And they're getting louder and louder. And then they stop at your door. Mephibosheth! Would your heart stop? You'd probably be racing, right? Nothing is really said to Mephibosheth. He's picked up. He's put back, probably on one of the horses, and brought back to the palace. And you could just imagine what's going through his mind. As he nears the castle. You can imagine that he is getting really, really agitated. And really anxious for what's going to happen. But he's brought back to this kingdom. Back to Jerusalem. The city of peace. Imagine what that was like. Verse 6 says, When Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. He knew the, last, the only thing he could do was throw himself on, God's mer- on David's mercy. He does what anybody in his position would have done. Had you been brought before the king... Knowing your family background, you would have done the same thing. I would have done the same thing. So here he is. He's laying down, trembling, fearing for his life, unable to run, unable to escape judgment because he's crippled. And here he is laying prostrate before the king who can have him killed with one single word. David says, Mephibosheth. This is the first time in this whole narrative that he's called by name. And he's called by name by the king. And rather than Mephibosheth, 
as a sign of judgment. He says, Mephibosheth, tenderly. Perhaps David, when he saw this young man, all those thoughts about Jonathan welled up in his brain. And that love for Jonathan overflowed his heart. And he saw this crippled, helpless man laying before him. And he was filled with with grace. He was filled with love. Mephibosheth says, your servant. Now, think about that. Here's a young man who's crippled in both feet, who can do nothing for himself, let alone anybody else. And he says, your servant. Could this guy really do anything for this king? Could he really serve him in any way? Did he have anything in himself that was of value of worth to to the king? There was nothing there. Nothing. He knew that his disability made him a worthless servant, and he was ashamed. He was Mephibosheth. Still, he uses this phrase, your servant. And he hoped that David would have mercy on him, having seen his helpless position. And he was surprised. Verse 7, David says, Do not be afraid, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Grace upon grace upon grace was lavished on Mephibosheth. He says, I'm going to show you kindness. I'm going to restore everything that belonged to your grandfather is now yours again. And you're going to eat at my table. That's grace. Mephibosheth, David says, don't be afraid. He speaks peace to Mephibosheth and tries to calm his heart. He recognized Mephibosheth's helpless position and accepted him without condition. He didn't say, Mephibosheth, you need to do X, Y, and Z in order to gain my kindness. He said, just because I love you and loved your your father, Jonathan, I'm going to give you grace. What does he say? He says, you're not going to die. It's because of that relationship with your father that I'm going to give it to you. And you're being restored to the land that you lost. You're not a servant. Servants didn't eat at the king's table. Sons ate at the king's table. Members of the family ate at the king's table. And he's giving... By saying you're going to eat at the king's table, he's giving him all the rights and privileges of his own children, of his own family. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? From his response, he doesn't seem to quite get it. He says, I'm a dead dog. Why do you care about me? Notice that he's referring to himself again as a servant, as something worse than a servant, as a dead dog. He says, 
it seems like all he wants to do is, is to try to find some way to earn this king's favor. But David stops him. He stops him. And he doesn't even recognize or acknowledge what, what Mephibosheth is saying. He says, then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. Notice that David doesn't even acknowledge what Mephibosheth says. He just repeats the promise and then expands it. He clarifies and makes a point to call Ziba the servant of Saul. And all that family, all of his family servants. And he says, you're going to work the land. You're going to provide for this young man. Verse 10 says, you and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Not only does he provide... For Mephibosheth. He provides abundantly. He gives them so many servants to work that land that Mephibosheth had an abundance of food. Ziba sounds pretty, pretty surprised. He says, Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. Ziba was surprised by the grace. He had been surprised earlier when King David said, who is it I could show kindness to? And now he's surprised even further when he finds out he has to provide the food for this, this man. Ziba had a front row seat to watch God work through David. To see grace extended in a way that he had never seen it before. Verse 11 says, Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table, and he was crippled in both feet. Let me ask you a question. How did Mephibosheth, how was he brought to the king? He was carried. The king went and brought him to the palace. An act of grace. How did he get to, king, to the king's table? For every meal. He was carried. The king provided for him because he couldn't bring himself. Another act of grace. There was no distinguishing between the King David's sons and Mephibosheth. He was always considered a son. And Mephibosheth's son was considered a son. Mephibosheth, from this moment, this point on, always lives in the palace. He lives in the king's palace in the city of peace. No longer in fear of judgment. No longer worried about his past. No more wondering where his next meal was coming from. 
The turmoil of the past was gone. The condemnation was gone. The fear was gone. It says he always ate at the king's table. You know, there's never a mention that he leaves the king's table. He's always there. He's always sitting at the table of grace with an abundance of food to take care of him. When you're sitting at the table, when you go home today and you go and have, going to have dinner, I assume all of you are going to sit at a table. When you sit down in that chair and sit up to the table, what is the one thing you can't see? Your feet. Your feet. For Mephibosheth, his feet were a daily reminder of his past. Sitting at the king's table, he didn't have to look at his feet anymore. He didn't have to see it. He didn't have to see his weaknesses and his shortcomings. He didn't have to be reminded of that day when he was dropped by his nurse and and trampled on and, and crippled. His feet stayed under the table of grace. His past was behind him. Sitting at that table, he was always reminded of the grace he had been extended by this king. So where do you see yourself in this, in this account of God? What character do you identify with? Are you King David? Have you grasped how great a grace was lavished on you by making you a child of the king? A son or a daughter of the king? Are you looking for opportunities to surprise somebody by the grace that's been shown to you? That's what evangelism is all about, right? That's our purpose in this world is to extend the same grace that was shown to us and extend that to other people. Can you think of that one person in your life today? Maybe there's one who believes that they're worthless, that have no value. that need to know the grace of God. And maybe you're the one to extend that to them. Maybe you're the one God is calling to share share the gospel with, to rescue them at a low bar of their lives and bring them to the city of peace. Maybe it's you. The question is, will you do it? Will you look to that one and find a way to show the grace to? Maybe you're Zeba. Maybe you're doubting that there's somebody that has any value. Maybe you're looking at somebody and you're saying, well, they're not worth it. They're not worth extending grace to. They're too much trouble. 
Maybe you need to reflect again on the grace that was, that was shown to you at the cross. And maybe you need to go after them. Maybe you're Mephibosheth. And maybe you feel like you are worthless yourself. And maybe you've never come to the table of grace. Maybe you've never heard the gospel before. But the gospel is extended to those who are weak. Who know that they bring nothing to the table before God. Who know that they are worthless except for God. That their sin has separated them from God. Can I tell you that God's grace is extended to you today? God has brought you here so that you could hear the gospel of peace. So you can know that you are forgiven and you are loved and you are accepted regardless of your past because of what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. Because of His love, because of His grace, He extends to you the opportunity and the privilege of being a son or a daughter of God. If you will just fall down before him as Mephibosheth fell before the king. And cry out for God. That's why Jesus came. To rescue sinners. He came to the wilderness of this world. Seeking for sinners. Who needed to be saved. Who needed rescuing. That's why Christ came. To show us the love of the Father. So maybe you're here and you're Mephibosheth. And God says, admit to me. Just come before me. Show me your feet. I'll extend you my grace. I'll give you a place at the table. If you'll admit you're a sinner, you're a sinner. And ask for salvation. This is the wonderful story of God's amazing grace. And if we will just think about all that's packed in this, into this little story and just think about how much God loved us that he sent his son. And just live in the light of the gospel. Just live in the truth. Maybe you're thinking today that you're a dead dog. Maybe you as a, as a child of God, you're even thinking... I'm not worthy. You're right, except for for Jesus. Jesus is what makes us worthy. Jesus is what gives us the place at the table of grace. Jesus is the one that gives value to our lives. Gives us hope. And gives us peace. It's only Jesus. Mephibosheth's life was changed completely the day he entered the kingdom. Has your life been changed 
by God. Maybe, it's, maybe you think just coming to church is enough to change you. It only comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. It only comes when you admit that you're a sinner and believe the gospel. Have you been feasting at the table of God? You know, God lays out a wonderful, wonderful feast for us in his word. But so many believers, unfortunately, turn away from the table. They don't read the Bible. They don't take from the spiritual food. And so they languish. Not believing the truth because they don't know the truth. Can I encourage you today? You've been given a wonderful, wonderful opportunity to meet every day at the king's table. Take advantage of it. Read his word, study it, grow by it. For in fact, this is the only way you can grow. And you could really understand who you are as a son and daughter of God. Don't live in Lode Bar anymore. Come to the table. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you for this incredible story. And Lord, just a reminder of how much grace you've shown us. Lord, we all come crippled, broken. But Lord, we come to you just falling at your feet. Thank you for your grace that saves us, that gives us a place at the table. And Lord, help us, Father, to live in, in thankfulness. Help us to live in gratefulness for what you've done. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today today that doesn't know you, God. Lord, that they would speak to pastors, speak to one of the elders. Lord, that they would not leave here. Lord, continuing to try to do it on their own. But Lord, that they would understand who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And Lord, for my brothers and sisters here who do know you, God, I pray, Father, that you would just help them, Lord, to, Lord, just appreciate the grace they've been shown, Lord. And Father, if there's someone in their life that needs that grace extended to them, Father, help them to be willing to be like King David, Lord, and extend that grace to those around them. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the opportunity that we can meet with you today. In Jesus' name, amen.